Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today we have a special episode where Blair and I welcome NanoPrecise to the show, and we talk about false positives, false negatives, and the actual impacts they have. What is a false positive? What is a false negative? It's a really good discussion. One of my favorite topics, actually, and uh, if you're in condition monitoring or in reliability, it is a typically a pretty hot topic. Um, so have a listen, and if you hear a child come through partway through, my apologies. My son decided to give a little show during during the episode, and it was at a good part, so I didn't want to take it out. Um, anyways, thanks for listening, and before we get started, a quick message from our sponsor. You guessed it, Nano Precise. Hello, listeners. This is Steve Doby, one of your co-hosts of the Maintenance Disrupted podcast. Every week, we've been bringing you a clip from Machine Doctor from NanoPrecise. This week is no different. Machine Doctor alerted an early bearing fault in the roller press, which is the heart of cement plants. This saved the client huge costs on the bearing replacement. If you want to find out more about Machine Doctor or NanoPrecise, visit nanoprecise.io. Or of course, you can always get into contact with Blair or myself, and we'll get you in touch with our sponsor, NanoPrecise. All right, here's your episode. All right, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. This week, Steve and I are both on this podcast. Why? Because it's special. We have returning guests and our sponsor from NanoPrecise. We have Sunil and Graham with us. Thank you for joining, guys. Thank you, Blair. Yeah, happy to be here. And thanks, Steve, for coming on. It's the first oh, time yeah. you've done this in a while. Since our, uh, since our uh, special three-year episode, I think. Is that how? Yeah, it's going to be a four-year episode before we got back on together. <laughs> um, so, our, our friends at NanoPrecise, you're a sponsor, and we appreciate we sponsor uh, your, appreciate your your effort in sponsoring this podcast and the in the community around. And um, so, what we've been doing on a weekly basis is is promoting or this idea of the machine doctor to the rescue, where we promote a, a use case or a tidbit of information about your products. And what's been fascinating is is watching your product grow in terms of the use cases but also i've been a spectator and watching um it, last podcast we had we talked about energy 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 harvesting right um and that came to fruition and you know we talked about atax rating we've seen that come out now and you guys are and i said this to graham earlier is is not that it's unwarranted or unexpected but finally getting the recognition for what you guys have been able to build and particularly and kudos to you and the team, Sunil, for the Plant Engineering um, Product of the Year finalist award. Uh, that's that is a huge um, token or shout out to you guys for what you guys have been able to do. So congratulations for that. Yeah, that's a big deal. You guys should be proud. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a lot of uh, exciting things happening in 2021, and uh, it's been a wild ride in the last year, right, Sunil? Definitely, yeah, and we have some other uh, fantastic news coming up, uh, uh, you know, uh, which will be released uh, through a big PR release uh, with uh, Suzuki Motors uh, within this month. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think uh, uh, that we're really excited about what we have uh, achieved. Uh, I mean, we are proud of what we have achieved in 2021 and really excited about 2022 yeah sorry that was me <laughs> <laughs> no my no worries <laughs> is say hi to the amazon driver for me <laughs> uh no and that's it and as a fanboy if you want to call it watching the technology grow um it's it's interesting too because in my line of work we we see we're we're adjacent space but it's it's funny because every now and then i go i get a question hey have you have you heard of this company called uh nano precise yeah, I might have heard of them. I might have heard of them, right? So it's great to see uh, see your guys' name coming up. So for for our listeners, um, maybe I'll, I'll pitch it over to you, Graham. Um, just before we get into our, our topic around um, anomaly detection, how you're using AI, false positives, false negatives. Well, if you can, in an elevator speech, um, you know what what is NanoPrecise? What do you guys do? What problem are you solving? So uh, NanoPrecise. Uh, has is providing a solution 
to avoid unplanned downtime uh, for machine mission critical uh, or operation critical equipments, especially rotary equipments like pumps, compressors, turbines. And we do that with the help of uh, hardware and a software because we feel that an end-to-end -end solution is what is really needed and hardware and software are both part of it. And during this journey, what we found out is that um, beyond hardware and software, there are so many other things like connectivity, the power source of the, for the hardware, uh, all these things really affect the scalability of the solution. And, uh, and that also impacts the data quality and ultimately the data quality impacts the analytics uh, you know, per accuracy. So everything is so much related and it went beyond just a hardware and a software. And we were able to solve most of the puzzle, most of the issues regarding connectivity and power and data quality, ultimately leading to better prediction. And that is why we see much better adoption and a faster sales cycle uh, and, um, and a highly scalable solution. What made you want to start this business? You're like, Sunil, you're the, the CEO and, and founder of this. What, what drove you to say, you know, the world needs a better solution for this? Yes. So um, the main reason that I see is uh, the surprises. People are, you know, working in the factories. They're every, I mean, they have very high levels of anxiety and, you know, um, you know like a, a stress just because of the fact that they don't know what's wrong going to happen. And it's really, you know, if we can, uh, every machine, I mean, just like we go to the doctor, every machine, even human body is, the mach uh, is a kind of a machine, maybe the most complicated machine. When we can go to the doctor, get the test done and know in advance what can happen to our body, why can't we have the same thing for the machines? And that's the, and if we can have it real time, um, and, and let the machine talk to the operators in the plant. That's uh, in a structured manner that they are prepared well in advance. It reduces their anxiety and stress levels quite a bit. And ultimately it results in you know, uh, better business outcomes and uh, bottom line. And it's all about that, yeah. So Neil, I, I love the uh, analogy to the doctor. So I gotta ask, do you have an Apple watch and are you taking real time data of yourself? <laughs> <laughs> just like you are with the machines. Yes, that that was the first thing, you know, and, and actually uh, when I run on treadmill and I what I did is a small hack that I did that I put, if the oxygen level is beyond certain point, it will send me an alert. And if I start running after some time, it sends me an alert. Does that mean uh, I'm having a problem? No. And that's what today's, uh, you know, uh, topic is all about is that, why it is important to understand what is an anomaly, uh, which can be related to anything, right? Uh, any process upset versus what is a false positive and a false negative. And very, very uh, uh, thanks for asking that question. It's really pertinent to what we are talking about today. Perfect. So let's um, let's dive into that. So it, it was interesting. I tried to remain as active as I can on LinkedIn and just put random thoughts out there that come into my head. And I put one post out there about, you know, what I was seeing was, you know, everyone celebrating wing wins, whether regardless of the technology, meaning they, this system X was able to detect this. And then they typically have a circle around some kind of trend and say, we detected this, right? And then what I put back there was we all celebrate these wins, but how about the fact that we didn't detect something? We didn't detect a false anomaly or a false prediction. You don't celebrate that. And the importance of not, you know, what I would call crying wolf or not having all these alerts come in, but they weren't warranted is just as important, if not more important than detecting the original fault itself. So how is an anomaly different from a fault? And how do you call an anomaly a false positive or a false negative? Yes. Uh, so going by the example, what, what just Steve asked, uh, in, a, in a simple way, like uh, if I put my uh, Apple Watch and if it sends a re, uh, some alert for high oxygen just because or high breath rate just because I'm running, you know, that's an anomaly because uh, you are, I mean, it can basically be 
anything. It can be a fault. It can be just a process upset, um, you know, something that your body is not doing normally. And it just uh, send that alert. The same thing for the machine. If you have, uh, you know, cavit uh, like a, some, some process upset, like a cavitation, or suddenly there is some, uh, you know, feedstock has some uh, different variation or anything like that, um, which has nothing to do with any specific component in the machine going bad, but it's just, you know, uh, not normal process and not normal operation. And anything uh, is like that can be called as an anomaly. That's one of the interesting points about, you know, where and I think we can dig into this for a much longer conversation, but, you know, where does AI or ML fall apart? You know, so you have, you know, a year worth of data of a process that runs one way and all of a sudden it's running a different way. Well, is that an anomaly or is it a fault? And, you know, can the machine learning or AI figure that out? Or how do they go back to a first principles review of, and, and this is something now Precise does a lot of is, you know, combining first principles with, you know, AI and automation to try and weed out things that are not necessarily real issues. Right. And that, that first principle model, when I hear people talking about, this is, I'm going to go down a wormhole because this is, this is my happy spot, our conversation right now, but, you know, digital twin. And uh, it, it means so many different things to different people. Just getting your data into the cloud is like, I got a digital twin, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Right. And we've seen that and like, where's your first principle model where your digital twin is built on, but, um, and it, it's often lacking, um, lacking that. And I think there was a, a good article I read, I can't remember who wrote it, but it talked about the biggest issue we have in, in manufacturing or utilities energy is that variability and it's only going to increase. Um, you know, we were talking Steve here and, and I have heard BC has some flooding and some landslide issues. That's changing the way they have to take things and ship things in, things, things out. Like raw materials are going to change. Uh, there's just so many variables in the fields we work in that cause systems to break. And I'm going to go on a tangent here, but I remember when someone, you know, when I was focusing slowly on AI, people asked me, well, you know, I had um, MPC, model predictive control, or an expert system on my automation system 15 years ago, and that didn't work. What's different, right? And my answer was always because those were fixed. Those were based on a certain set of principles based on operating this way. And as soon as anything changed, whether it's raw materials or the output, the speed, that model just went to went to crap, right? And I think that's the biggest different differential that we'll see with, with what you guys are doing is learning. And if I recall our conversation from a podcast a year ago with you guys is that feedback that you guys have built in, right? In terms of that anomaly detection. Yes, and, and I think uh, an important point for you know everybody to recognize is that, you know, when you start uh, you know, uh, 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 predictive maintenance or, or any kind of this, uh, you know, digital transformation on any machinery assets in the beginning. Of course, there will be a lot of anomalies in the beginning and the anomalies over time have to come down. That's what, I mean, if you don't have any anomaly, probably you don't even have a good algorithm to detect what is different versus what is normal, right? And it's, uh, and, and the problem is, where people misconstrue it as a fault, false positive and a false negative, right? And that is where uh, thing goes bad because uh, you know if you if you start thinking every anomaly is a false positive and a false negative, uh, you know you and and give the same uh, uh, you know uh, criticality as a as a fault fault mode notification rather than an anomaly notification, uh, you will have a problem because then uh, you do not know how to prioritize. And a good notification system, a good uh, a software provider will make sure that they, uh, you know, differentiate the severity of these and by different messaging, and uh, and also the user should pay attention to those messaging to make sure you know they treat both uh, anomaly and, and we will talk about what exactly is a false positive, and false negative, but how to treat them differently is really comes down to the end user. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, that's so it's a great point, right? So you now, like. Uh, you know, in our messaging, an anomaly doesn't necessarily mean, you know, shut down the plant. It's okay, well, this is an anomaly and we're, you know, we want to make sure that users are informed of things that are odd, 
but that doesn't mean, you know, shut it down and you need to, you know, plan a giant maintenance program. It's, you know, different users will have different thresholds of, you know, how sensitive they want to be. And, and that still is where the human part comes in going like, if, if this is part of a, you know, $3 million an hour process, well, you want to see every anomaly. But, you know, if it's, you know, a, you know, a sub process of something that the downtime impact is more limited, maybe you don't want to see all of that, or maybe you don't take action on every anomaly. And this is where like operating context is hugely important, at least in my mind, because if you, you know, if you place, it's easy to put just a simple anomaly detection on something that's the same speed, um, very simple, like a pump type of thing that there's very little parts in there, like, it, it's pretty easy, but if you, as you start to get more and more complicated, then, and if you're like a haul truck is, you know, it's basically where I've, I work and I talked to Graham about this and, you know, when we're looking at detecting anomalies on something is variable going down the road, that's when you start to see, and, and it takes a lot more skill and, and knowledge of what your equipment is doing to really understand what's, you know, you're getting your anomalies and what's actually an issue. And uh, so it's like, I don't know what you guys have seen out there, but obviously the more complicated the asset, the more complicated the anomaly detection stuff is and, and how it's operating and what conditions. Yeah, that, that's a very good point, actually, Steve. And, and we, we have a uh, example that the, the most uh, craziest uh, variable example that we have uh, done is uh, on train. In railways, you know, mm. and uh, especially in in uh, you know the light rapid transit or metro, you know. So we had sensors installed for almost uh, five months now, and uh, so the, what the learning that we got there, it is not necessary to detect anomaly at every position, uh, every speed. Okay, because well, you know your uh, one thing to understand there is your. Uh, you know, machinery components are designed for the uh, vibrations to the maximum RPM. And so if it is rated for, let's say, zero to 4,000 RPM, they are designed for, uh, you know, sustaining the vibrations uh, up to 4,000 RPM. So what we do is we found out a way to, you know, uh, an algorithm uh, to, you know, uh, let's say K-means clustering algorithm or uh, Mahalanobis distance algorithm to basically focus on the top 2% because we know that the top 2% because RMS uh, of a vibration is directly proportional to the, uh, you know, the RPM of the machine. So we, you can easily understand uh, when it is at the top speed. And when it is at the top speed, you extract the uh, speed from the vibration uh, because it's easier to do that when it is very high speed, the noise is so low, you can easily decipher even from the normal FFT. And when you do that, you get the uh, speed at that, uh, and then you you uh, do a like a correlated with uh, uh, you know the magnitude for that particular speed, and because of that, you are able to bring all the values to a level playing field, and then you can really do proper anomaly detection. And going back to what you're saying, right? Uh, it's it's really uh, important to understand the operations for that reason, uh, especially if it is variable operations. Uh, otherwise. You know, it will. Uh, it, there'll be no difference between like it will send so many alerts that it will uh, piss off the customer right away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've always called that clustering. I don't know if that's the right word or not. Um, and and that has always been like setting those parameters and understanding that two percent. And you know, once you can get that dialed in, which it sounds like you guys are have your algorithm to help help determine that, then it's. It makes things a lot easier and like you said you can see them much more clearly and you, you've essentially normalized it to just looking at that that band through um the the more advanced algorithms to figure out where it is no i love that that's great thanks Anna. yeah and i mean that uh, kind of brings us back to the you know the the software part there's there's two parts to software for nano precise one is the edge-based stuff which is right on the sensor which you can do some pretty interesting stuff with and that's where we do a lot of screening of, you know, the, the items that Sunil talked about is like, well, how do we assess what the operating regime is so that we take data at the right time? And like, this is not just important in like variable speed machinery, but it's also important in things like, you know, stranders or debarkers where, you know, like 
trying to take data when it's actually operating is pointless because it's so noisy because of the type of operation it's doing that it's all over the place. So you have to be able to assess, is this the right time to take the data to assess the machine or not? And the same thing happens in some of these mobile heavy equipment industries as trains and numerous other things where, you know, if you take the data at the wrong time, of course, it's going to be all over the place. So that's sort of part one. And then part two is then, you know, the, the part where you do the heavy analysis in the cloud and, and you know, use AI and whatnot. So there's kind of this handshake between, okay, well, there's a routine process of analysis, but you need the good data and you need to have a, an understanding of what you're getting to begin with. No, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. So the, the edge versus the cloud and where you do some of that logic. And uh, I was thinking in Steve's industry is I did a bunch of projects where we had um, um, vibration prediction and protection racks on, on trucks. And one of the biggest challenges we had is, I don't know if this is an industry term or something I just started making up, but it called a trigger point of, of when do you start to take this measurement, right? right. So, you, so you have repeatable measurements. And on something like a haul truck, as you said, Steve, fall rows were paid in gold. Like there's, there's no such thing as a smooth road. Right. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, that trigger point was multivariate trigger point to get a multivariate value. Right. It's just uh, ongoing and end of the day we couldn't get to work, but, uh, um, well, if you, if you take your, if your best data is that when you're at full load, well, that's also the same time where you're bouncing down the road and having all that noise put in. So how do you sort out through that noise? And like, uh, you know, it's, it's a big challenge. Right. So, Yep. So good. So, so that, that idea of anomaly, a false positive or false negative, what, what does that mean? How would you describe a false positive versus a false negative or vice versa? Yeah. Thanks for asking Blair. Uh, and, and for this, it is very important to understand what is a fault and how is it different from an anomaly, right? Uh, according to us uh, and, you know, and many other books uh, which we have referred to or many other experts, a fault is nothing but uh, a faulty condition with any of the components inside the machine or with the machinery itself. And it is, uh, you know, it is not a process, but it is actually something that is, you can uh, visibly see, uh, you know, either micro, uh, there can be a microscopic uh, damage or uh, maybe, and, and there are multiple types of faults that you can have mechanical faults, uh, electrical faults, uh, structural faults, and maybe instrumentation faults with the instrumentation instrument panel within the motor, but usually it is mechanical, structural, and electrical faults. Now, uh, these three are identifiable and you know uh, distinguishable. And once, let's say, you know, if if there is, uh, we told that okay, there is a, a bearing fault, but if you don't see a bearing fault, okay, that is called a false positive, right? Uh, but if we uh, you know, how, how this fault is different from an anomaly is, you know, as I said, anomaly is any process condition. It can be a fault too, but anomaly means you, you cannot have a false positive and false negative on an anomaly because anomaly means it can be anything separate from process condition. Um, and, uh, and what is false positive really is when we tell that it is a fault, but actually it is, there is no fault. In fact, what, where the problem happens is that if the fault is, uh, you know, uh, a very at a, at a very early stage, uh, you know, customer thinks that uh, b from his tolerance point, he thinks that uh, this is not a uh, fault. I mean, this is false positive. It's too early, so it is a false positive. No, I mean, see, there can be a, a, a like a little bit difference in the tolerance level from what we see from a software point from the data and what you realize on the site, uh, but uh, unless and until you prove that there is no, uh, you know, uh, not even a single damage inside the bearing or the shaft or, or you know, gear. But if we tell that there is specific fault, uh, you know, uh, th uh, then it, it is it is not a false positive. I mean, if it is there, uh, you have to be very careful in, in seeing that. Uh, and, and false negative is basically when we, uh, you know, when we say that, okay, we did not send an alert. Okay. And our sensor data shows for a bearing fault amplitude, let's say bearing inner race amplitude, there's an increase in the value. We did not send a notification and the failure happened. And even after failure happened, they test and they found that this is due to the bearing fault. 
that is what is false negative if that failure happened because of some random uh, you know um, electrical fault mode which we were not covering i mean you uh, like because every technology will have some limitations so if the technology is saying that we are not covering electrical faults for this one we are only covering mechanical and structural faults then you cannot say that that's false negative because that, that technology is not covering that so it has to be very very clear uh, in in customer's mind and and uh, what you can call as a false negative and a false positive and i feel uh, you know this this is a good starting point yeah Great. So a false positive is you you trigger an alert saying this bearing's failing and it wasn't actually. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then the false negative is something happened and we didn't, the system didn't pick it up. Yes. And then the false negative part, there's, there's always the wild card of, you know, somebody threw a wrench in something. Well, that's not predictable, right? No, and that's, I think I've told this story a hundred times over on this podcast now. And it just, it was such a defining moment for me in time when I sat through and it, it wasn't you guys, and I'll, I'll tell that to the audience right away, but a, a company doing AI, and they said in this group of, of people, um, with AI, you'll never have a failure again on your mechanical equipment. <laughs> right? yeah. that's, that's a bold uh, promise. Uh, yeah, they bet their house thinking, on that? Or what? Yeah, so, so my question was, what about lightning strikes or you know, someone hitting someone with a forklift? Or, right? There's there's always going to be something that'll, that'll bite you, but uh, that's Exactly, it. and and, and one thing what, what we have noticed in our experience, uh, so I will be very candid here because we want the industry to improve uh, even uh, whether we stay or not, doesn't matter, you know? So, um, so what uh, really uh, what we have seen is um, in a in couple of uh, steel plants, uh, you know, all of a sudden within two minutes, there's a sudden rise in the value, which is not even notified in our sensor readings, right? And the failure happens, just like you said, like. And what happened is because of the mishandling of the operator, he put something wrong in the bearing and yeah. all of a sudden it failed in two minutes, right? And the customer says that, oh, it's a false negative. Why you didn't see false negative is when we see in our data and we did not notify. See, you tested our sensor data quality before buying the sensor. You tested it with the industry standard, which is CSI 2140 you know that it is all good and you have tested it even periodically and you are qualified with the data you're you're satisfied with the data so the sensor data quality is good if the sensor is not showing any data how can even software send you an alert it is not possible but this failure can occur so it's it's not just just the failure has happened and uh, the technology has not detected uh, it becomes a false negative it has to be much more thought process needs to be given into that yeah right yeah that's a good point Sunil. so you know that comes back to you know, the granularity of collection of data. So, you know, we're moving through this journey in, in industry 4.0 using the buzzword, I'm sorry, but it's, it's still kind of the most appropriate term at the moment where people are going from root-based monitoring to, you know, condition-based monitoring systems like what we're doing in predictive maintenance, which is great, but there's still some granularity difference between this and like a full online system, like a system one from Bentley, Nevada that is, you know, applied to a you know, turbo machinery for $50 million gas turbine, right? So there's still, you know, if you want down to the second online monitoring, then that's a different price point by far. Oh, and that comes, comes back to, well, how critical is this piece of equipment and how much do you, granularity do you want? And we're pretty good. Like we're taking data every few minutes, but it's not down to the second and online monitoring. Uh, and, and the balance of plant you know, where we play, you know, is we uh, don't get into API 670 systems and those, you know, uh, you know, heavy end of, of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a very different price point to actually get value out than those systems. And that's where we also have to sort of differentiate a little bit about expectations and going, we can get more granular than most of our competition, but it's not down to the second. Exactly. Well, exactly. No question. Steve. Sorry, I was just going to say, and you, and you mentioned criticality analysis and understanding that is is huge. Because like I've seen people go down the road of looking for um, some sort of monitoring, and they're like, "Well, we want we want data every every quarter second." And I'm like, "You don't need data every quarter second." We did you did a podcast uh, in the past there, Blair, where we talked about capturing too much. Data. Why do you need that temperature value every every thirty seconds or every second? Like it's redundant at that point, right? So what's the efficient What's the efficient way to capture it? And 
with the vibration data, you're pulling in so much, the storage, like we looked at, um, we looked at capturing vibe data in real time and it's like the store, just the storage costs of that data. By the time we, we actually were able to get to analyzing it, well, we've ran out of space on our cloud server. So it's, so, you know, that's <laughs> the where- cloud was full. The cloud was full. <laughs> so it's like- Started okay, raining well, data, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you got to think about your application and your criticality, and you really got to think, does that matter? Is it going to make that much of a difference? You talked about the PF curve, PF curve, and where you're falling on that PF curve. And do you need that much time to actually respond to it? And- you know, everybody's worried about like, ah, can we save uh, an extra hour, an extra day? And I'm like, are you actually going to be able to use that information to do anything faster? Exactly. Uh, so it's a balance of this, you know, like false negative, you know, if you're, if you've kind of missed the granularity part of it is, is kind of a, well, that's not exactly what was offered. And that's not a, not a false negative in our opinion, because it was a, you know, transient one-time thing and it's not predictable. So those are kind of wild cards that everybody has to understand. Like we, we would not include that as a false negative. Exactly. And the, the, an operator doing some physical damage to the equipment in the, um, not malicious, but even just operating <laughs> the equipment wrong. Like there's no PDF curve you could ever grasp that in two minutes or less. There's no decision you could make unless there was a giant e-stop button to, to hit it and shut it down, but you're, the damage is right. done, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, there's a sort of nuance to false negative. And, you know, you, you might ask, well, you know, why, why are we talking about this so often at NanoPrecise? And it really comes core, in, in my view, about how you generate value. And, you know, Steve, your comment there about, you know, cloud costs and et cetera, it's, you know, like, it all comes back to how are you generating value? And, you know, this gray line of, never want to miss anything if we can avoid it, but also don't want to generate so many notifications that it overwhelms a user. And, and that's, you know, a really important concept because at some point, if you, you know, if you're doing what I would call CYA, <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's great. But at some point operators are smart people, right? You know, and they stop trusting things because they're like, no, it, it rings red all day long, every day. That's right. Yeah, we've seen that. And back in the old days, you walk into control rooms that had the physical control panels and you'd see like electrical tape over the the lights that lit up, right? So they don't have to look at it anymore, right? Or the horn that was disconnected, right? You just saw the two wires hanging. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or the acknowledge button stuck down. I don't know if you guys saw that or it actually, yeah. the acknowledge button would be stuck down so it wouldn't go off. <laughs> but anyway, so when we look in the false positive, the false negatives, and there's something I'm, I hung on to, Sunil, as you said, that is, linking it back to anomalies, which is different than a fault, but the anomalies is, you know, you said it best and, and I'm glad you did is, you know, you have to learn over time. Like you have to expect some level of anomalies when you first install a system, right? doesn't matter um, who, what, when, where, there's always that, that learning curve. You need to learn the process, you then learn the variability. So I just want to make a note that I, I respected that, that it wasn't this magic thing you stick on and it automatically learns your process in an hour and off you go, right? There's there's a learning time. Every process is different. And, and I would say this even every bearing is different a little bit, right? They haven't been maintained, manufactured different. So AI has got to come into play with this, with the with the false negatives, false positive. How does AI tie into this? How are you using AI to help with the false positives, false negatives? Yeah, so I think we we took a really uh, practical approach. Like when I when I started NanoPrecise, right, the first patent that uh, that we filed was for wavelet neural network okay and uh, like a, uh, and and we can go really fancy with uh, those kind of algorithms and and you know try to come up but you know is it going to help at at this uh, at this early stage of our startup right and when i did that analysis i found that that ai inherently i mean is of ai is of many types and you can do detection uh, in, in, in many types. And to, to basically uh, do it without getting any information about the machine, we need to have so much data and we need to make it like, a, you know, uh, just like a biomarker, uh, you know, uh, bio, uh, that, that, that detects the fingerprint of millions of people because it has registered so much data, right? Like we need that amount of data re to be really understand 
if this spectrum relates to some bearing fault without even getting any information from the customer. That kind of AI takes time. It will not come for, it is not even a cup of any startup unless they have that gigabytes, terabytes of data that is well labeled. And, and even if they have it, there is multiple permutations and combinations of that, which really makes, so, so this, what this thought process uh, made us realize that uh, domain expertise becomes really important. And, uh, and uh, like, a, so there are three types of AI models that I, I believe one is data rich database models. Second is purely physics-based model. And the third one is data plus physics-based models. So we too chose an approach of data plus physics-based uh, model because, uh, you know, for example, if, if you uh, look at uh, one spectrum, okay, and how we do uh, the, uh, the uh, you know, false positive, uh, fault detection is uh, if you, uh, so we will, we will have the frequencies of various faults like a bearing fault, gear fault, shaft fault, we will have all this beforehand from the customer, okay? And, uh, uh, you know, and if it is a variable speed, we can get the uh, speed information to correlate with what is the instantaneous bearing frequency at that particular time. And once we know that, if you have a 8,000 lines of, uh, you know, frequencies, you can immediately, uh, if you see a peak on a specific bearing frequency, and you know that this is actually bearing frequency from, from uh, physics, from mechanical engineering, you you are very sure that this is this has to be the problem because the probability of it going wrong is very less less than 0.1 percentage so that's why what we realized is that this approach is much more realistic and can it is not an astrology it's not probability based it is really if some there is some problem there has to be some increase in the specific amplitude of specific frequencies of specific fault modes so we will go with that while in the future we are so slowly starting developing our uh, that algorithm too, like wavelet neural network. So, but but what it takes is to have a to uh, let both unsupervised and supervised compete with each other, and which one is showing a better um, uh, you know MSC mean squared error? Which one is having a lower mean squared error? If I made them compete right now. I can be, I'm pretty uh, uh, confident that our current, uh, you know, physics plus database model will, you know, win by a huge margin compared to the data, you know, just the normal neural network on some right. uh, small amount of data. Yeah. Absolutely. Fully agree. Fully agree with yeah. that bet. <laughs> Fully yeah. agree. So, and then going back to the, our podcast a year ago and when it comes down to detecting anomalies, making uh, or detecting faults, are, is is the output of AI giving you some level of confidence? And I, I took note because you were talking about, you know, ensuring that the software, and I think this, Graham, you were talking about this, the software differentiates between the level of alerts that are given, right? So how do you how do you do that? Is it is AI helping with that decision? Like this is this an anomaly? Is this looking for feedback whether it is or not? Versus, you know, this machine's dying and yeah. needs some help. Yeah, well, that's that's where you know what Snow was talking about in this physics based models. You know, we have a you know a number of overarching you know anomaly detectors where it's okay. There's something that's changed, uh, but it can't be classified into a particular type of fault. So that doesn't mean we just go, we throw our hands up and say, no bueno, we, no good, we, we don't know what to do. Right. You know, like we then go, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to watch this and then we're going to notify, but we're going to make sure it's in a new category where people know that, okay, well, this is an anomaly. We can't categorize it as a specific fault at the moment because it doesn't fit a particular pattern that we know for the component or the machine, but we're informing you. Uh, and we're going to continue monitoring to see if it does fit into a category at some point in the future, but at least you know. Right. And again, like if we're, you know, and, and then there's threshold setting and a variety of things related to that, that we, you know, we do a learning cycle to make sure we're not just, you know, it deviated 2%. So you get, you know, anomalies out the, out the window, right? So, but there's, there's sort of the combination of, okay, what is the norm for this machine over a period of time? How does that compare to physics-based models? How does that compare to you know some AI-based you know trending that we, we build in as well? So there's sort of multiple factors, and then all of that is based on you know a, a large amount of data 
because we're using multiple sensing elements and modalities where, you know, a lot of people just go vibration, 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 and that's the only thing. Okay, well, we're using multiple pieces of information to try and help with screening out things that are, you know, as Sunil mentioned, are process related, not necessarily fault related. So there's really? kind of multiple layers here of if you can, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation, but if you have anti-correlation, anti then, you know, that gives us an indicator that, well, just because vibration energy went up doesn't necessarily mean that this is, a, you know, worthy of notification. So right, let's let's talk about um, you. You put on a good point around the um, additional sensor values that you're using to to help confirm, um, and if you want to call it predictions or or detections, right? So, in addition to vibration, what else is what else is the machine doctor measuring? Yeah, it, it measures, uh, uh, you know, speed and uh, uh, acoustic emission uh, up to like 160,000 samples per second and uh, acoustic, but not ultrasonic. It's like mm -hmm. not a two-way sound, you know, like uh, what uh, you guys at UE Systems do. But, uh, and apart from that, uh, you know, uh, magnetic flux. So speed, acoustic, temperature, magnetic flux, and humidity, apart from vibration. Yeah. And how important are those other variables and what you have seen in the accuracy of the fault detection as well as the false positive, false negatives? How much do they impact those? Yeah, uh, I think speed is really important, right? Yeah. And uh, because uh, especially for, if it is a constant speed, that's a different thing. But um, uh, you know, if it is not a constant speed machine, you cannot, I mean, uh, unless and until you have a device that is working above one, uh, like from let's say zero RPM all the way up to like 2000 or 3000, above 1000 RPM, zero to above 1000 RPM, unless and until you have a design uh, machine like that, you can't really do anything with vibration if you don't have a speed sensor, right? If you mm -hmm. have a machine like let's say zero to 400 RPM, just like a normal, you know, uh, some pump we have in our house, you can't have a like a you know the uh, vibration sensor do anything with that. It's just you can only do anomaly detection. It's better not to do any any you know right. kind of uh, fault detection because you will be wrong for sure. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that speed is definitely big one. You already gave an analogy of that or use case with the, with the with the trains right on yes. LRTs yeah, exactly. and taking those readings when you know it's at a certain yes. speed, right? And I think yes. that's that's fantastic. Yes. And, and I mean, the reason why we are able to do uh, the, for the train without any speed sensor, I mean, see for the speed uh, sensor to gather the speed, the only requirement that we have is uh, we need to have a small magnet to be mounted on the shaft. And even though we have n number of examples where we have, even now, like uh, in one of the HVAC unit, we have a magnet, it is running for the last one year at 2000 uh, speed, without any problem at getting off. We, we have a detailed calculation, still customers have this uh, you know, problem with, oh, there's this magnet on the shaft. I don't know, it comes off like a bullet or something. That's right, yeah. It... <laughs> yeah. So this that safety aspect is there, even though how much physics you show them that it is, no, it is not a safety aspect. Right. We have enough factor of safety there. But so uh, for uh, the machines above 1000 RPM, why we are able to uh, propose this to the customer that you don't need a magnet is uh, because we can extract the speed from the vibration itself because it's so clear that uh, you know uh, uh, the, 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 your RPM uh, your RMS values related to that particular you know uh, a higher RPM are easily distinguishable from the lower RPM or that so right. uh, and you will see the spectrum is very clear with the clear, very clear peaks you can immediately I mean somebody can see it and say that oh 1200 RPM is the RPM uh, 1200 is the RPM hit. yeah is it yeah it's that obvious yeah. yeah yeah well and then you know the the other factors like temperature and acoustic emissions you know Blair they're very uh, nice to have so that we can go, okay, well, if we don't see a particular fault characteristic, then we can go, okay, well, if the speed is the same, but the vibration is high and the acoustics are high, well, then that leads us to believe that this is a worthy anomaly of notification. Right. Yes. J just want to add a caveat there. 
there is also like nine more than 95% of the times uh, we have uh, we have seen this for anything above 1000 rpm but yes there are some expe uh, exceptions where you have a really high noise that uh, the sensor can make a mistake and like reading rpm from the vibration but we have a clear example from a very big hall supplier in us probably one of the biggest in the world and uh, also from the train so that's why based on these examples uh, we have clearly achieved more than 95 percent accuracy in extracting speed from the vibration for anything above 1000 rpm yeah gotcha so just to wrap up around the false positives and false negatives what do users have to keep in mind for exp expectations as they go down this path, that they move forward down this path around um, detections? What, what kind of guidance would you give or what should they know about these false positives, false negatives? Yeah, uh, I think uh, doing this exercise right in the beginning of the project is very important because then the expectations are really clear on what is really an anomaly and what is a fault mode and what is a false positive and what is false and negative. Because if the customer has a specific understanding or uh, you know, idea of a false positive, which is totally different than what is the idea of the, uh, the vendor, right? Then this, this whole journey will never be successful. And that's what leads most of these uh, predictive maintenance projects to be stuck in pilot purgatory phase, actually. And this, if this is made very, very clear and we have a signed document with the customer, okay, this is what it is. And it is not, it is not so difficult. It, it can be, there can be very easy metrics and what is a false positive and what is not a false positive. I mean, people, uh, you know, give metrics uh, in, in the KPIs that, okay, uh, not more than 30% false positive allowed or not more than 10% uh, of false negative is allowed. But okay, what is false positive and false negative? Let us come to a common understanding of that first. And that is what is really missing. And mm -hmm. we feel that, I mean, uh, what we talked a lot about in, in this, uh, you know, in this uh, podcast earlier, uh, forms uh, uh, should, should uh, you know, uh, make both parties, both the customer and the vendor come together to define that first before even installing the first batch of sensors. Right. Defining what that is, how to measure it, what it looks like, all that kind of stuff up front. And also yeah. to expect it, right? Yes. You can, you're going to have false positives. You're going to have false negatives or the potential of it, right? Depending yeah. So, so definitions is kind of one key takeaway. The second, I think, is what Steve mentioned earlier is criticality you know, like making sure that everyone understands, well, what am I trying to achieve with this particular asset? You know, is, is this just not the right fit for what I'm expecting? Right. And, you know, we're not trying to, you know, fit all things. We're trying to cover, you know, what we would call 85% balance of plants, but we don't do the, the drinking fountain in the canteen because nobody cares. <laughs> Um, you know, and you know, that $50 million gas turbine, we believe that there are systems that are the appropriate ones for that. That's right. Absolutely. Setting the expectations, right? And realistic expectations. And and uh, I think I've talked to Alison and Holly about this before on the show. And, you know, when you set those expectations and you really got to continually reiterate them that, look, this is, this is what is going to be delivered. This is, you know, we do expect to have these things. We're not going to catch everything. The system needs time to learn. So, um, you know, false positives and false negatives are, are so when you don't come from like an engineering or, or math based background, it's hard to un understand what they are and the frequency and what the impacts are. And so I think it's just, you know, on on us as the engineering people uh, and the technical people, we need to make sure we're communicating what those are out and what the impacts they have onto the operation are. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, that's uh, you make a really good point. You know, I mean, uh, not everybody in the world knows what an exponential curve is or probabilities. And you know, some people, you know, uh, struggle with that. That's fine. You know, like that's you know, different different people run the world. And if everybody was the same, it would be a very boring place. That's right. I think one one important point that I, I would like to uh, you know convey through through this uh, podcast is that uh, you know. 
see, uh, people people go to tarot readers and astrologers and all that, and they say, okay, tell me my future, right? And we are not trying to do that here. This is a lot of, uh, you know, science and, uh, I mean, we need to, uh, we, we, we have to come up with something with a degree of uh, certainty, what is the degree of certainty behind everything that we do and what is not. And, uh, you know, when, when do we, when we can actually predict something or detect something and predict it when we cannot, you know, even vendors, as you said, Blair, right, uh, AI can solve all the problems, right? Uh, no, it cannot. And, and I mean, uh, if, to a certain extent, I mean, uh, it depends on every different problem. And uh, that is something that needs to be really clear uh, at the beginning that uh, between the, the user and the vendor so that uh, it's not like, okay, these guys will do a magic for me. Any problem, they will just tell me, I will just, I can just sleep peacefully, right? May, maybe that's the uh, target that we are all trying for, but that does not happen on the day one. And both needs to work together to reach to the, that, that, that ultimate dream, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that sort of the one of the final points, I think, in my mind is, you know, senior management may review something and they're like, well, why did we miss something or why did something go haywire? And that doesn't necessarily mean the, the, the whole system is a failure. It's, you know, there is no 100% certainty in life. What you're trying to do is improve and reduce and get value out of it. And we've seen that across the board where you can get value. But, you know, if something bad happens, it doesn't necessarily mean everything was a failure. It just means, okay, well, that's part of life. You know, not everything is predictable. And if it was, uh, you know, we would probably, if we were that good that we could predict the weather and, you know, all that kind of stuff, we would be in a different business and, you know, living in Hawaii, or, you know, with the whole, by the whole island or whatever, right? <laughs> I'd, be beside, I'd be beside you, Graham, but yeah. If, yeah. You could, if we could only predict the weather, how long have you been trying to predict the weather? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I always tell people. is like, yeah, it's 100%, 100% chance of rain today. I'm like, yes, but there's also a hundred percent of the hundred percent chance of them being wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah. That really comes down to probability, right? Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's great. So, where could our listeners find out more information? Get in touch with with both of you. Yeah, uh, our website nanoprecise.io. Uh, uh, you can just type in nanoprecise. We're on LinkedIn. We're on, you know, look at this podcast. You know, we I think we're sponsoring this one as well, so you can find us there and. Um, we might have tagged you guys a few times yeah i think our, I think our listeners know how to find you <laughs> at this at point the, if you yeah. can't find them you can always find blair or i and we'll we'll get yeah. you in touch that's true yeah sorry Graham, you're gonna say you're at uh we're yeah you know we're we're always around um we go to we're starting to go to conferences again um, Yay. we're gonna be gonna be at imc in florida in december great i will see you there well wonderful I will be there with my shorts and flip-flops and the dress shirt. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, I look forward to seeing you there. And any listeners that are at uh, are planning to attend the International Maintenance Conference, it's in uh, Marco Island, Florida. Hit us up. We'd love to love to chat with you. Make sure you, you pop in and see these guys or find me, and we'll bring you over to these guys. Sorry, Steve, you'll still be in BC. <laughs> Can't get out. All the <laughs> That's right. The roads are closed. All right. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Sunil. Thank you, Graham, so much for, for coming on the show. And uh, as always, it's always a, always a pleasure to see what you guys are doing, um, getting the recognition you guys deserve for what you guys are doing out in the industry. So congratulations and thank you.